Let us pray. Gracious Father, on this night, your Son, our Lord Jesus, washed the disciples' feet. Draw near to us and cleanse us once more. Renew our hearts and our minds and help us to embrace your great and gracious, your merciful and compassionate love for us sinners that we might know more and more fully your redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On this night, we remember Jesus washing His disciples' feet. Foot washing isn't something that is part of our culture this day. There's no need for it. We wear shoes now. We don't have servants who come along when we come in after a hard day hard day's work out in the fields or hard day hard days walking around traveling from place to place to come and wash off our feet to clean the dust off of them because we have shoes that keep the dust off of our feet now that protect our feet that keep them from becoming calloused and hardened that keep them from cracking and bleeding these shoes protect our feet in a way that Previous generations of people have never known. But nonetheless, we come every Monday, Thursday, and we have a foot washing here, here as part of grace, which we cannot, sadly, celebrate tonight. But yet, in years past and in years to come, we will have a foot washing ceremony on Monday, Thursday, and we continue to do it as a remembrance. Because the washing of feet that Jesus does here is not so much to clean the dirt off of the disciples' feet in a physical, literal way. There's a deeper symbolic meaning underneath it. There's a deeper aspect for what Jesus is trying to teach and reveal to His disciples about His own work on their behalf. His own work on behalf of the Jews. His own work on behalf of the whole world as the one true Messiah. This picture of Him washing feet is a picture of the salvation that He is bringing into this world. It's part and parcel of who Jesus is. It's part and parcel of the work that He is doing and going to the cross in a few short hours from the timing of this event. And with this event, we see a great and glorious love, a replete love, I would say, A replete love flowing from Jesus that is complete, that is full, that is unending, that is abounding beyond. A love that is to the uttermost with regard to His disciples and with regard to the whole world even. A love being poured out in this time. Here in St. John's Gospel, He doesn't tell us about the supper directly. He merely says that they have sat down to supper and in the midst of supper, Jesus gets up. In verse 1, John sets the scene for us. And this verse isn't merely an introduction to the supper, to what's happening at that very moment for the disciples, but it is a description of everything that is to come in the coming chapters, from chapters 13 all the way to chapter 19. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He had a full love, a love that couldn't be 
filled up. A love that couldn't be undone. A love that could never be fully understood or comprehended toward His disciples in this moment. And throughout this evening ahead of them and into the morning and into the afternoon as He is on the cross dying. John here gives us that great and glorious synopsis right there in that one verse describing what Jesus is doing, that He loved them to the end, to the uttermost. And then John quickly brings us down into the very moment, in the midst of supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Despite what Jesus knew was coming, that He was getting ready to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, by one of His own twelve disciples, one of His trusted dozen, He still loved them to the uttermost. He still stood up, removed His outer garments, stripping Himself down, to that of a mere lowly servant. And he tied a towel around his waist. He took the position of a servant. But even more so, one thing that we need to stop and reflect on is what is happening in the midst of this supper, in the midst of everything that is going on, is that the disciples during the supper have been arguing with each other about who is the greatest. They've been vying with one another. It's already happened previously them debating amongst themselves. And yet here on this night, as the Passover supper is getting underway, the disciples are again, according to Luke, arguing, talking about who is the greatest. And so what does Jesus do in this moment? He stoops to wash His disciples' feet. He strips away His outer garments. He lays them aside and becomes, literally before their very eyes, A mere servant. No more a rabbi. No more their teacher. No more their master and Lord in his outward garments. But is stripped down to that of a mere servant before them. That is Jesus' love for them. That he becomes a servant. But what we have to realize here is that he stoops to wash his disciples' feet. Not in spite of his being God. As though we should be impressed that God Himself would do so lowly a task. No, it's not in spite of or despite His being God that He does this lowly task. He does it because He is God. Jesus washes His disciples' feet because He is the Son of God. True God and yet true man. Out of the abundance of His divinity, He stoops down to wash His disciples' feet. Out of the abundance of His love, As their God, He lowers Himself to the lowest of all servants. These men who are arguing about who was the greatest just moments before are humbled by the Lord, crouching down in the clothing of a servant to wash their feet. We shouldn't be surprised at this. This isn't an extraordinary act for our Savior. It's part and parcel of the work that He had come to do. He had come to make people clean. He had come to wash people's sins away from them. What better moment to demonstrate His love for His disciples than to wash their very feet as they're trying to figure out who's the best of the best. His being God is not a stumbling block to this lowly service. 
It's not an act of humiliation per se. It is an act that flows out of the divine love that is in the very nature of our triune God. It is part and parcel of our God to love and to serve in this way. And what we discover about this kind of love, this replete love, this complete love, is that it becomes a reviving love for His disciples. We hear that He then, in verse 5, poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around Him. And He came to Simon Peter who said to Him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter being shocked that his master would do something like this. And Jesus says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter struggles with the idea of his master lowering himself, stooping down to wash his feet. And the old nature of Peter comes out, that one that when Jesus first announced that he would be crucified in Jerusalem, And Peter took him aside and said, Lord, this can't be. You can't be crucified. That old man, that old nature coming out and not wanting Jesus to do the very thing that Jesus needs to do because he doesn't understand. Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but afterward, you will get it. You will understand why I'm washing your feet. And Peter saying, you shall never wash my feet leads to Jesus answering him, if you, if I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Jesus confronts Peter with the reality that if he doesn't receive washing from Jesus, if he isn't cleaned by Jesus, then he has no part in Jesus. He can't make it on his own. He can't move up to God on his own. He can't wash himself well enough. None of his good deeds are good enough to ever measure up to what is necessary before God because of the sinfulness within us. And so Peter responds, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. You see, for Peter, this act of washing his feet, this act of interacting with Jesus and seeing Jesus' heart, seeing his compassion, seeing his love, is a Peter receives a reviving love from Jesus that revives his spirit, that brings him back from the brink of faithlessness. It brings him back into faith. For when Jesus says, if, I, if, you, do not, if you are not washed, you have no part in me. And Peter goes all the way and says, well then wash my hands, wash my head, wash me completely. And Jesus reminds him, the one who has already bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet. You see, Peter had already responded to Jesus so well. He had already been following Him. He had embraced Jesus as the Messiah, though he still stumbles, though he still has doubt and has faithless moments. But nonetheless, Jesus' love revives him and brings him back when he stumbles away. And so, of course, Peter would go all in and say, well, my hands and my head also then. But Jesus tells him only his feet need to be washed. And we all chuckle at Peter's misunderstanding, don't we? A little here and there. At first, Peter refuses. But then after Jesus tells him, Peter wants all of himself to be washed by Jesus. But only his feet need cleaning right now. 
And so we must remember what this really means for us. That part of us that gets dirty in the world, that part of us that continues to wrestle with sin within and the sins that we commit in our lives, of course. In one sin, our whole being commits the sin. But for us as Christians, in the confession of that sin, we are cleansed. And yet our personalities and our bodies, they travel through this world. They encounter sin and they themselves sin. And they must be cleansed through confession. Cleansed by the coming of Jesus. Reapplying our baptisms over and over, you may say. And our confession of our sins is that act in which Jesus comes to us and cleanses us once more. It is the application of Jesus' great servanthood of His death and His resurrection. Through that, our confession becomes an act that Jesus cleanses us with. And then on the other side, having been called, we are in one sense already clean. That is, wholly forgiven by all that Jesus has done, by His death and His resurrection. But the rest of our lives, after that moment we come to faith, after that moment that we are baptized and we were raised into faith, The rest of our lives are lived as lives that continually receive and apply Jesus' forgiveness upon ourselves. We continually apply His redemption. We continually apply the newness of life to ourselves. We receive Jesus' righteousness to cover our lack. His righteousness covers our nakedness before God. Our lack of righteousness is our great nakedness. And Jesus comes and clothes us with His righteousness. He renews us and He leads and guides us and cleans us and continually cleanses us. He washes our feet over and over. He washes us through and through. That first calling, that first cleansing that we receive comes in our calling. In our hearing the call of Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming to us, us being grafted into the vine that is Jesus. For some of us, that began in our baptisms as little babies, that calling, that grafting in. For others of us, it began when we first heard the Word preached, and then we were baptized and grew through the Word with others. For those who were baptized as babies, you were continually taught about Jesus. And that cleansing was applied over and over. But in it all, baptism and faith and the teaching of Jesus comes to us. They are part of that calling and cleansing. And as we continue to live in the world, as we continue to live and breathe and move about, our feet are going to get dusty. They're going to get mired in the mud of sin. Because while saints, we are yet still sinners. And so Jesus must come over and over and cleanse our feet. Come over and over and cleanse that sin. Wash away those sins that are upon us. And continue that transformation that began in our baptisms. That began in our faith that is growing more and more as the Lord's Spirit fills us more and more and renews our hearts and our minds. And we must submit in our whole being And we do that according to His grace. We do that because of His favor upon us, because we know that we can. 
We know that we can receive what Jesus has done because Jesus has already done it for us. As St. Paul said in Romans, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we yet rejected Jesus, He died for us. He came to us. He took us as His own and calls us to faith. He cleanses our feet and will continue that transformation as we submit, as we receive it, as we confess, as we rest in His grace and are renewed. We continue to live in that washing. Without submission to Jesus' continual cleansing of us, we become dirtier with sin more and more until there is no appearance of that first calling in our lives. When we refuse to submit, we refuse the grace of God in our willful sinfulness. And our refusal is a lack of confession of that sin. It's a lack of confession that we have broken God's commandments when we will not submit to God's grace. It's ironic that it takes simple reception, simple being there to receive God's grace in so many ways. And yet it, is, it requires fighting. It requires resisting to get away from that grace. Our submission is an easy thing in so many ways because the grace is upon us. The grace is with us. The grace is in us because Jesus has given it to us. And as we submit as Peter did, as we rest in what Christ has done and are cleansed continually from our sins by Jesus, we discover that something happens. We become reflective of Jesus' love. There's a reflective love that flows out of us because of Jesus' work on our behalf. In verse 12, St. John continues by saying, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We get to reflect that replete and reviving love of Jesus to others, to one another. We express our love to each other by washing one another's feet. So often symbolically here on Monday, Thursday. But since we can't literally do it here, our washing of feet is in reality our service, our care, our love for one another, our giving of ourselves to each other, but it also involves our encouraging one another, our speaking to one another sometimes to lead us back into the truth. That if we see a brother sin, we are called to draw near to that brother and draw him back. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do. Sometimes that brother is already guilty, feeling the guilt bear down upon him but seeing no way to turn from their sin. And when we come alongside them and we say, I'm here with you. Let me help you withdraw yourself from the sin and be cleansed by Jesus once more. The burden is lifted from their shoulders because they discover and are reminded that Jesus does love them as we come along and serve them and help people draw back to Jesus and come back to Him in their struggles against sin. 
We reflect Jesus' love as we care for one another. As we walk alongside each other, as we speak to one another, as we fellowship together, as we draw near to each other. We reflect Jesus' love to each other. And as we reflect that love, we revive one another. We encourage one another. We build each other up. And our faith flares up and becomes alive once more as sin is washed away from us. As we are reminded to confess, as we are reminded to receive that grace, to receive the abundance of God's love, that love that is to the uttermost, that love that leads Him to the cross. That is a humiliation on one hand, and yet is the very thing that God had planned to do to deal with sin. God had planned from the beginning to become incarnate into this world when sin entered it. To take that sin upon Himself in the form of a man in order to put away that sin. In order to deal with that sin that separated His creation from Himself. To deal with the sin that separated mankind from God the Father. And so God the Son willingly embraces the great and glorious plan of our triune God from eternity past. That He would save the people of this world. That He would come down and bear the sins of the world Himself and make a perfect sacrifice and lead people to the Father and renew them, revive them, and send them out to be reflectors of His love. And that is our calling now, is to be that reflector. To not think that we wash one another's feet despite being good and glorious Christians. But being good and faithful Christians means that we do wash one another's feet. It means that we come alongside one another as Jesus came alongside humanity itself and washed His disciples' feet. He humbled Himself and got down before them to wash their feet But that was not against who He was. It was out of the very center of His being. And so may we be reflectors of that very love. As we receive the love, as we are revived by that love, let us also now go out together and love one another as Jesus has loved us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.